All right, everyone. What's up? Uh, welcome back to the Low Side Podcast. This is uh, episode number nine. Uh, it's been a three-week hiatus, unfortunately, and a bunch of details I won't get into, but long of the short, I've been in the process of moving. Uh, my family and I just moved to Lawrence, Kansas, home of the University of Kansas Jayhawks from Wichita, uh, Wichita has been my home for a long time and, and moving is certainly, you know, a different experience. Um, but we've finally gotten settled in. It's starting to feel like home. I think change is good for a lot of different reasons. Um, but it's kept us from doing a podcast, just unpacking and all of that. So, uh, I'm back this week, uh, and looking forward to the next few weeks with some guests I have lined up. Um, but super excited to announce my guest this week. His name is Weston Hebert, uh, Weston most importantly, is a friend of mine. Uh, and secondly, he's a guy with a pretty interesting story. He grew up in small town, uh, I'd say South Central Kansas, Newton, Kansas, um, playing eight man football. And, and as he says, doing a lot of the, the things that small town kids do uh, before going on to K-State as a walk on uh, and finishing his fifth year, senior year as a team captain. So uh, Weston and I met through a mutual connection of ours in college, uh, and I think have become better and better friends as we've gotten a little bit older and um, stayed in touch. So to me, he's he's a good dude. Um, he's a hardworking guy. Uh, it makes a lot of sense why he had the success he did at Kansas State University, um, getting to know him and understanding where he comes from. So I'll let him tell that story for you guys. Uh, I think you will really, really enjoy this episode. Uh, and like always, we were able to squeeze a little bit of golf in there. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy. And uh, here's my guest, Weston Hebert. Uh, all right, everyone. Welcome back to episode number nine of the Low Side podcast. Uh, it's been a couple weeks due to uh, some personal circumstances, but I'm ready to get back on a roll. Uh, my guest I'm super excited about this week is a, a good friend of mine more than anything, Weston Hebert. Weston, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, thinking of me, Mike, and, and having me on, on your show. If you, uh, if you saw where I was sitting at right now, you'd probably laugh. We have still some boxes laying around, and Ryan just got out of the bath and was like screaming and being crazy. So <laughs> I'm actually set up in the garage. It was the most quiet place I could find. We're in the studio, huh? Yeah, makeshift, I guess. Um, but before we get going, I I have to give everyone a quick story about like kind of one of the first times that Weston and I met. Um, so we have a mutual friend who's actually been on the podcast as well, Jonathan Truman, and, and that was kind of our connection. And a couple of years ago, and you'll know where this story's going, but a couple of years ago, um, Jonathan Weston and I were, were scheduled to go to an LSU Florida football game. And before that could happen, um, Jonathan ended up going and playing for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, and so I think maybe Weston felt like, I don't know if these guys still want me to go. I don't know if I should go. And he called and I was like, what do you think? And I was like, man, bring it on. No, no, no strangers. And, uh, the guy showed up, got in a car with, three guys he didn't know really well two of them probably complete strangers and i think we got like 20 minutes into the drive before you made fun of somebody or like said <laughs> said something to tyler or brooks and i was like all right this guy fits right in so 
Um, <laughs> I was a little bit nervous about the whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> you never admitted that till now, but I think um, from my perspective, man, that was probably the first time I knew, like, all right, this is a good dude. I, I think me and this guy could get along. Mm-hmm. No, that was a blast. That was, that was an awesome trip. Um, it was, it's hard to believe that was two years ago already, so... No, LSU has taken a turn for the worse since then. We'll get into that a little bit later. But yes, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I guess the first thing I wanted to start with, man, is um, just kind of I, I know a little bit of your story, but kind of tell me um, where you grew up and and where you're from. So I grew up in Gossel, Kansas, which is oh about thirty or forty minutes straight north of Wichita. Uh, it's a town of 500 people, so there's really not a whole lot that I would say that goes on that's out of the ordinary. Uh, everything kind of just moves on as normal pace. And uh, I grew up on a, we have a dairy farm, and then we have farm ground as well. Um, I guess the school, one, one of the school, and so everybody's pretty involved in everything and uh, kind of did the whole small town football, basketball track summer baseball and just kind of stayed busy with everything where uh were your parents from gossel originally so my, my dad would be from gossel my mom actually was born in oklahoma uh kind of close to enid and they would have met in in college at bethel college in newton uh, my dad played football there and my mom uh I, I i guess she just ended up there because uh her parents had gone there and they had some connections um, and she she's a teacher now at Gossel, and uh, got her teaching degree there from Bethel, and met, and then they moved back to this area as well. Gotcha. What um in terms of like scale, whether it's acres or however you measure it, how how big of a, a piece of property do you guys farm? Um, so all together, uh, including including pasture ground, it'd be probably uh, eleven or twelve hundred acres. Um, and then the dairy we milk, uh, actually milking cows would be, oh, right about 100 all the time. It fluctuates a little bit over or under, just depending on uh, how, the, how the herd's doing. But um, I would say probably total herd size of everything would probably be oh, 200 to 250. And then we have a small, small beef herd that my dad and I have just started this year as well. Um, I want to get into that too, but I'm, I'm trying to think about like, that's a, that's a pretty expansive property. When you were a kid, what do you remember kind of having to do to help out? Um, uh, oh, I mean, most of the time when I was younger, uh, feeding, feeding calves was kind of the thing that the us younger kids, my older, older brother and I would do as well. Um, so just all the, all the baby calves get fed milk. Um, so we would always carry five gallon buckets of milk and then you would, we would just take a can and, and dip out and feed all the calves. That would be kind of the only thing that I was capable of as a young kid, uh, other than just kind of tagging along and always trying to be there. And I always just enjoyed being around everything over there. Uh, that was kind of what my passion was always when I was younger to, to be over there. Has that stayed kind of a piece of you? Oh, yeah. I mean, probably the, the dairy has backed off some. Um, I always have really enjoyed livestock, um, and that's um, why my dad and I have got these other cows. But the dairy portion, just uh, the amount of time and effort um, that my grandparents and uncle and parents have put into that, 
it's just unbelievable. I mean, being there every day, um, you know, almost what it feels like all day, you milk in the morning and you feed in the morning, and then in the afternoon, you know, kind of take care of everything else, and by 4 o'clock you have to milk and feed again, and that usually doesn't get over until, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock. What, um... What kind of life lessons, especially now as an adult, do you think that environment helped instill? Well, I think work ethic would I mean, be the number one and, and then commitment. I mean, because you have to be there to take care of those animals. And I mean, when that's, when that's your job or that's what all your income and your passion is, like my, my grandpa started it. And I mean, the amount of time that he's put in over there, I mean, he, he loves his animals like, I mean, like they're part of the family. It sounds strange, but, I mean, that's that's what his whole life revolves around pretty much, and that's what his, his job would be and what he's put all of his all of his effort into. But, I mean, just the commitment to see that he's done, I mean, to be there 60-plus years um, doing the same thing and then getting his family involved in it as well. So, obviously, I mean, we saw the passion that he had, and, and wanted to be a part of that as well. I, it's pretty cool when you say that out loud to think that, you know, that piece of property you just mentioned for 60 plus years has been taken care of by a Hebert in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is, it is pretty amazing. And, and hope, hopefully we keep it going and, um, yeah, keep it in the family. But yeah, it, it's, it's pretty amazing that, that it hasn't, we haven't, we haven't ever sold any ground that we've bought. Um, there's been rented ground or something like that. Maybe we don't we don't manage or farm anymore. But um, any piece of property that's been bought by the family has always stayed in, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I um I just thought of this as you're talking. I I, I met a guy um came from you know second or third generation farmers, and he said uh, the farmer is one of the the only professions where he's always the one getting screwed, and. Um, <laughs> He said, that's why, you know, people don't do it for money. They don't do it for fame or for glamour. They, they do it for the reasons you said, passion and um, kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's for sure. And I think that, I mean, economies of scale is kind of the, the main thing that's separating farms now. Uh, we're not by any means a large farm compared to guys in the area. When you look at the scale of what's going on in the whole state or states around us, I mean, we would be a very small operation to a lot of them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just the, the fact that we pretty much buy everything retail and sell everything wholesale yeah. <laughs> uh, because we're not very close to being the end user on any of our things. Um, so it just seems like there's always lots of steps in between before, before the, I mean, the real dollar or the real product turns into food or whatever, whatever it is for people. Yeah, that's exactly exactly what that guy had said. So, um, kind kind of switching gears. You mentioned growing up in a small town and doing the small town sports thing. What's the first sport you remember playing? Oh man, probably baseball. I, I would say would be the first the first sport that I really remember. Um, I guess kind of a weird story about that would be that. So I'm I'm actually left-handed, um, but my older brother taught me how to bat. And he I mean, he was right-handed, so I actually bat right-handed because he he didn't know how to bat left-handed. So it kind of just got to be where I've always batted batted right-handed, but done everything else left-handed. So it's kind of a weird deal. But yeah, my older brother and I he'd be 
four years older than I am, and he, he taught me a lot. We played sports together a lot and competed a lot. So that was, I mean, kind of one of the first sports that we were able to play together and, and, and compete with each other. What, um, what's, what's leagues look like in a smaller town? You said 500 people. Did you have to travel to get to where you were playing, or how did that work? Um, like with all, a lot of the, like the younger kids sports, we pretty much just played the closer towns that were, I mean, within 20 or 30 minutes of us for the most part. Maybe, maybe we'd go out to 45 minutes. A lot of the towns we played were bigger towns. We'd play like Heston, which would be a 4A school. Um, and we'd play like Sedgwick and Hillsboro and some of these closer towns close by. But when we got into junior high and high school, um, traveling wise, everything was still still within an hour roughly. We played in the heart of America, which was oh, Gossel, Brian, Remington, Little River, Sedgwick, uh, Hutch Trinity, and and now they've moved moved to a different league, which is which is a little bit more driving because Gossel wasn't growing at the same pace as a lot of those other schools. Gotcha. Um, when do you remember? Uh, playing football for the first time? Oh, football for the first time would probably have been, oh, I imagine like a flag football that we used to play over the Hillsborough had a rec league that we would play together. Uh, I, I couldn't really put a date on when it started, but I, I think that that would be really my first memories of, of really playing competitive besides uh, catching the front yard with my old brothers or cousins or dad or or somebody like that. We always ended up, my cousin and I, two years older than I, and we, we were really close. We would always end up playing football against my older brother at uh, family gatherings, so it would always be two-on-one. That, <laughs> that was always a tackle football situation, so that, that would probably be my first, I guess, real football experience, other than just tossing the ball around and playing catch. Who had the upper hand in those battles? <laughs> well, he was so three and four years older than us, so I mean, if we there was got to be a pretty big gap. But as as we got older, we got closer and closer to beating him, and then finally it got very unfair that we had two and he <laughs> had one. But at first, he he pretty much just handled us at that point. <laughs> and then, so you know, you mentioned playing flag football. I and I know that you played eight-man football when you got to high school um Mm -hmm. everybody knows the traditional tackle 11 on 11 um whether it's high school college or pro what's the what's the biggest differences with playing eight-man football versus traditional 11-man football uh i would say i mean the game how i played it was always quite a bit faster at eight-man than it was at 11-man um a lot more scoring it's actually played on a smaller field, so it's played on a field that's 80 by 40. Um, pretty much you're pulling out the guards and a receiver or running back or however it's set up. But I always thought the game, honestly, was minus atmosphere and everything else, was a lot more fun at the eight-man level because from any position you were on the field, you had a chance to make a play. Uh, a lot of times in 11-man, if you're on the back side of a play, um, unless someone breaks it or there's a cutback or something, it's very difficult to make a play from the backside on defense. 
Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, I know there, there's some other guys that have went on to have pretty successful D1 careers and um, even NFL careers. I know Colt McCoy is one, isn't he? Uh, I believe so. I think, yeah, I think Colt McCoy or Jordan Shipley or one of those guys I know is, is from a pretty small town. I know one of those guys was a big eight-man um, player as well, and I, I think I've heard some stuff where they said the same thing. That's just the game is, is it's almost like playing seven-on-seven seven in the offseason. It's much quicker. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, I mean, a regular eight-man score would be probably in the 40s for both teams. Uh, and, and a lot of times they did get pretty lopsided. There was actually a 45-point rule. So if you're up by more than 45 points after halftime, the game's just over. So that there was a lot of times that we didn't even play full games because um, when I was there in school, we had quite a few guys that were pretty good and pretty athletic, and we would have a lot of games that ended at halftime or the third quarter. <laughs> that makes for a quick uh, a quick Friday night lights. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, what, uh, what positions did you play in eight men? So in high school I played, um, so I was tied in most of the time on offense until my junior year. Um, we actually kind of graduated a class of quite a few of the bigger guys from the school. And then I ended up playing guard my, my junior year in high school. And I was probably, when I say bigger guys, I was probably only about 180 pounds at that point. So I really wasn't that big of a guy, but one of the biggest guys on the team still. And we always ran, well, kind of passing situations that unbalanced that, so then I could still go out on passes. So you could so catch. You could catch. Played, played middle linebacker. You could catch the ball as someone who lined up as a guard. Yeah. So what we would do, we would just have well, there'd be nobody covering me up, so I'd be the end man on the line of scrimmage. And uh, there'd be receivers on the opposite side from me and then running backs in the backfield. So the night since I was uncovered, I was the next eligible receiver, so I still could go out. That was probably pretty unfair because you're like the most athletic <laughs> guard I've ever heard of. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty much pulling guard and going out for passes. So <laughs> I never was really just the straight downhill, downhill blocker as most guards probably were. <laughs> Um, so I know you played football and you mentioned some other sports. Was football your favorite or did you prefer any of the others? Uh, football was my, my favorite by far, and especially defense. Defense was something that I enjoyed way, way more than offense. I had never really cared. I mean, I always wanted to score touchdowns, but I, I enjoyed making tackles a lot, a lot more than I did, uh, running the ball or catching the ball or anything like that. But basketball, I always enjoy it I always played but uh it really wasn't something that it, it didn't bring me as much enjoyment as playing football did I don't know I don't know what it was about the game of football that I just really enjoyed and then so you played eight men at Gossel you had some success obviously in my opinion I'm thinking the recruitment process maybe is a little more difficult coming from an eight-man school what what did recruitment look like for you as you started becoming an upperclassman so I guess how my recruitment kind of started, uh, my my older brother, he had gone and played football at Bethel, which was just uh, kind of a local school in, within 20 minutes of us, which is a KCAC school. And growing up, I'd always just kind of thought that, you know, that's where my, my dad played football and my older brother played football, so I, I, that's probably where I would play. But as I got older, 
I started kind of think like, man, this not that this isn't a good place or a cool place to play, but I just didn't know if that that's what was going to do it for me or if that that's really where I wanted to be. So then I kind of started, I guess, opening myself to looking at. Well, I started. I just made some highlight films and sent out films to. It would have been every, I guess, D D one and and D D two school in well, kind of Kansas. Colorado, Missouri, probably, I think, and maybe Nebraska. And I just kind of sent highlight tapes out there. And then, obviously, kind of the small, smaller KCAC schools that were in, in or around our area were coming by also. But I just sent out the tapes, and that's kind of how I started it from my end. And then, uh, when, what, when did you decide, or how did you decide on Kansas State? Um, so, I guess... The relationship with Kansas State kind of got started just by so my my cousin who was a year older than me, the one that I had said I was always really close with. He he was getting recruited by K State a, a little bit, or they were coming and talking to him, or at least stopping by, and then that's kind of how we got started talking with them. I think they did say though that really they hadn't seen or heard of either of us until we had sent some tapes. And, huh. I mean, and and just for. For an eight-man player to get a lot of exposure is very hard. I mean, you might people in the area know who you are, but when you look across the state, there's almost double or triple or quadruple the amount of eight-man schools and teams as there are, you know, a six A or something like that that usually get most of the attention. What do you remember about uh, your first day in Manhattan? Uh, first day in Manhattan, I actually was two weeks late. To, to, I guess it'd be summer camp or just summer workouts. I had played in the eight-man all-star game uh, up in Beloit, so I just hadn't went up there and started until after I played in that. And I just remember showing up, and we had, I think it was like roughly 140 guys on the team at that point, wow. which was like 120 more than what I was used to. <laughs> and I just remember being there and thinking, Man, is this really the right decision that I made? Because that was way smaller than everybody else. I mean, it was like there were guys that were 300 pounds, and I was 180, and it just—I was pretty intimidated at first, honestly. When uh, when did that go away? The first time you hit somebody, or did it just come with time? Um, I think it was more so, and I was still in pretty decent shape from track, and I'd been working out. And over the summer, it was really more so just kind of like uh, conditioning and, and weightlifting workouts. And I, I wasn't anywhere close to being as strong as these guys are, but, like, I was keeping up with them in conditioning. So it, it went away pretty fast, just that I could see that I, could, I was competing with guys. Um, so I, I, I think I asked Jonathan the same question, and, and you two are, like, the prototypical – uh, Bill Snyder, Kansas State football alumni. What do you think it is about that program and the the way he's done it for twenty five plus years now that's that's made it what it is? Uh, I think it's given a lot of guys opportunity. I think would be a lot of it. Just that there's a lot of guys that go and play there uh, that that were good players in high school, but maybe weren't totally developed as. I don't know, as physically developed as a 
a lot of the other guys that get recruited from the state or surrounding states. And then I think there's a lot of accountability that goes on there too that, you know, the number of mental mistakes that, that are made and just the, I guess, knowledge of the game that they, that they teach us there uh, allows us to perform at the best of our capabilities. What, uh, what's your favorite Bill Snyder memory? My, my favorite Bill Snyder memory. <laughs> I guess it depends which, what kind of memory we're thinking of, I guess. <laughs> well, any, any that you're comfortable putting on uh, public radio. <laughs> um, I think my favorite memory about him, um, it was, I, I had never been the fastest guy. I, I didn't run a good 40 ever. That just wasn't my strong suit. Um, but so the first play that I have ever played in at K-State, uh, it was like my redshirt sophomore year, and I was a backup on kickoff, and I got put in, and I ended up making a tackle like on the three-yard line, and then again like on the 18 or 20 or something like that towards the end of the game after it was a blowout against uh, Missouri State. And then next Monday I'm in film, uh, he had said that uh, I might run a five six forty or but I was the first one that was making it down on kickoff. So how did that make sense? <laughs> but just, like he was tearing me down and saying that I ran a five six, which I did. But then he at least was building me back up and showing that I was the first one down the field. So I, I guess that was probably the, really the first time he, I guess, gave me kudos in in front of the team or really kind of even did it on that level either. I guess. I really hope you didn't run a five six forty. I did not. I, it was probably closer to four six or four seven. Probably four seven on a good day. That's not slow by any means. <laughs> you know, well, not compared to it is when you're comparing it to most of the other guys that played safety. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so you played safety at Kansas State, Big Twelve school, um, playing against powerhouses like. OU and Texas. Uh, what's your What's your favorite uh, visiting stadium that you got to play in? I guess my favorite visiting stadium. Um, I guess probably different from us. I really enjoyed playing at OU, mostly because we didn't lose when we were there, and it was a super. I mean, a lot of tradition and and a big power school, like you said. Um, so that would be what comes to mind first. But I really enjoyed playing at Iowa State too just because um, I felt like a lot of the fans were kind of the same type of group of people that, you know, Kansas State fans were. And a lot of the players were kind of in the same situation that that I was in. I mean, just that there were kind of a lot of in-state local guys, so they had a lot of pride and a lot of passion for their team, and they were, I mean, trying to fight hard and, and win. So it was always a really competitive, close game, and the fans were always super into it while we were there, too. Um, so those I think would probably be be my top two. Oh, you just because because we stuck it to them, but atmosphere and crowd consistently throughout the whole game and just the feel of the game. Uh, I always really enjoyed Iowa State. Um, I I asked Jonathan that same question and he said OU as well for the exact same reason. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I think that when Stoops was there, and you probably know the stat better than I do, but I think it was like five or seven losses this whole whole coaching career and then we had two of them in in three years there so it 
It was something that didn't happen very often, and it was a pretty cool experience for all of us. Yeah, I'm not sure there's many classes of you know four- or five-year guys that can say they, they've gone into Norman twice and walked out with wins. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I'd like to see the list of, of teams that are undefeated or you know groups of guys that were undefeated at Norman on you know, playing more than once, and I, I would bet that that team has probably has most of the names on the list. <laughs> it's funny you said Iowa State because I have always, even out loud to other people, said that to me Iowa is the Kansas State of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I, I would agree with that. Very similar style, very blue-collar, well-coached, um, all those same cliches you've probably heard a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I really thought that, I mean, just, yeah, just kind of the whole feel of the whole place was, was very similar to Kansas. And I mean, kind of, like I said, they had a lot of guys that, I mean, they had a lot of walk on guys that would be in playing positions towards the end of their careers. Also, when we played Iowa state and I mean, that always just kind of made it pretty cool that there was a lot of guys that put in a lot of hard work and then they were getting rewarded for it. Not that the other guys weren't that were maybe scholarship guys or guys that were given chances earlier. But, uh, I mean, it was just always cool kind of making a connection with those guys and compete against those guys. So your senior year, you were announced a captain? Yeah. So I was I was special teams captain uh, my senior year. I played, I guess it would have been redshirt sophomore and junior year. Um, would have been my first, my sophomore year would have been the first time playing on the field. Um, and then junior year, I kind of picked up a few more roles. And uh, my senior sophomore year, there was a guy, and he was an eight-man guy from Western Kansas too. His name was Jared Loomis, um, and he was—I mean—he was super pivotal in my career at K-State, just because I mean he really, really helped me out a bunch and helped me find my role. Um, because I mean, I wasn't going to be a starting safety for the team, so just getting a niche of playing on special teams, and I mean, really taking that and, and, and making uh, making the most of it, I guess, is how it would be. I mean, those 20 plays that I that I got on the field, uh, always trying to make a make an impact on those 20 plays because there's a lot of momentum that's carried on special teams, especially on big plays or, I mean, a, a fumble or fumble recovery or a muff punt or something like that that can really turn the tide of the game pretty fast. You you know as well as anyone that it's not just offense and defense. You got to win all three phases, and so like you said, sometimes special teams is is the momentum shift that leads to a, a win or a loss. Oh yeah, there is. Oh, we we had multiple games that maybe I, I wouldn't say that the I mean we weren't performing the best on offense or defense or something, but you know maybe we get a spark on special teams, and that would at least get the ball rolling, or or we could totally flip the field and and at least put the offense or the defense in a good spot to go do something. And, and, I mean, at the same same time, there was, I mean, there'd be times where we could kill momentum too. So, I mean, we always just tried to totally eliminate that and, and go for the better. Um, you mentioned, we talked about you being named a captain. I'm sitting here thinking about it. I, I have to think some of that background you talked about as a kid growing up in Gossel played a role in, some of the same characteristics that led to that. Oh yeah, I think I always I've always told my parents and, and grandparents. I mean, that's kind of where I mean the whole time I was up there at K State. I mean, I can't say that there was times when it was all just peachy and perfect. I mean, 
uh, coming from coming from Gossel and then being kind of, I guess, one of the probably one of the better players on the team, and then going to K State. And I mean, I was kind of low man on the totem pole for a couple years there until I kind of built up, I guess, would be name and then and showed the showed the coaches what I could do. I mean, those first two years I was there, they were pretty tough to spend a lot of time on the sideline and, and not get what what felt like reward. I mean, there was there was lots of rewarding things that were going on, but most of what you think of being a reward is getting on the field. I wasn't seeing that right away. So, I mean, just the fact of staying with it, and I mean, the commitment that I had, and I never really was thinking about quitting, but it was just like, man, this is, I mean, there was definitely some time there was quite a bit of doubt, and I mean, then that, that all changed pretty quick once I got on the field and I made some plays, but I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of time and commitment that goes in that people don't see from sitting in the stands. The quiet hours. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's where it all that's where it all happens, man. Um what's what's it like to go back now? Um, so I guess it's kinda of changed the more years that I've been out. Uh, the the first year that I was out it, it was honestly kinda of tough to go back. Um, because, you know, I still really was I mean, I was really connected to the team. Almost the whole, all the guys that were there were guys that I played with. And, you know, I kind of still was involved in this the scheme of the way things were going and just kind of really involved. Um, so I'd say the, the I, I watched the games then a lot like I did when I was still on the team. I mean, watched, I mean, super intense and was watching oh, kind of for every little thing. And, and the more I've got away from it, I mean, I, I still do that stuff, but I think I also just kind of watch now more relaxed just because um, I mean I'm just not as emotionally or uh, you know connected with a lot of the guys that are still there I mean there's I guess it'd be like one class or two classes that that would have been there but um, I think just the further removed I get uh, the easier it is just to watch it and relax and I mean have a good time and 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 just enjoy the game who uh, is there anybody you watch on Saturdays other than K-State that you kind of find yourself pulling for? Um, I guess Big 12 teams um, don't pull for KU very often. If I can, I don't think I've ever pulled for them <laughs> at all when I think back about it. But, uh, I mean, I think, I mean, getting to know you, I, I pull for LSU now um, when they're playing on Saturdays. But, I mean, there's a few teams that, um, I always like Urban Meyer uh, as a coach. I mean, listen to some of his interviews and stuff. Um, so I kind of pull for Ohio State, but they're they're such a big power that um, I don't like to pick the big power schools a lot of times. So uh, other Big Twelve schools, I don't mind seeing like Iowa State or Oklahoma State do good. Uh, I always kind of liked both those teams, and uh, all the guys that we played against were always pretty good from those teams, but. Um, when you'd be looking at different conferences, uh, just kind of, I guess it just kind of bounce around and I uh, just kind of pick games as, as, of the week. And I guess I can't have one that comes to mind right now would be the team that I'm, I'm always pulling for. That wasn't a plugged question either. I wasn't trying to get you to say LSU. <laughs> well, I mean, since I was been there, I've been there with you and I mean, the, I mean, the experience there and it's like, well, now I have a connection that I, I've been there so I can, I can watch them and I can pull for them. And, um, a lot of the SEC schools, I mean, I, 
I really have never got that involved in SEC football, but after the game that I've been there, and I mean the few games that we've played against SEC schools, I mean there's a lot of tradition, and, and I mean just the hype that's around it is pretty amazing. So I mean it is pretty easy to follow. What uh, what's your prediction? Are you coming up here this week? This weekend? Uh, no, I won't be at the KU game. No. What's your uh, What's your prediction? We've been kind of, Um, I guess prediction. I would say that. I think K-State will win by probably at least 21. Score-wise, I don't know where it could go. I, I probably don't see KU scored more than 14 points, but uh, hopefully we can just get, get our offense rolling and our running game back on track and, and put up some points. I really don't see how it can be close. Uh, KU might be able to play on a motion for like a, a quarter and a half or maybe the first half, but... They, they can't hang for that whole game. Yeah, and that's even how, I mean, they're in a similar state of when, kind of when I was there, they were probably a little bit on the better end, at least, in, I mean, how they've been playing when I was there. And there was a lot of those games that we played against them that there was a lot of motion at the beginning of the game, I mean, on both sides. So there's just weird stuff that can happen. And I mean, they, they had ran some fake punts and stuff like that against us early in the game to try to get some momentum or trick plays, but uh, usually those things run out if you're, if you're doing them early on in the game. I, uh, I live in Lawrence now, which is really kind of weird because uh, even because of that, I still don't pull for KU. It um, never, <laughs> never really have. So um, it's, it's kind of my LSU flag is flying outside the house proudly right now. Uh, we'll just say that. As long as no one takes it or, or switches it. Yeah, fortunately they don't play each other too much, so I think I'm safe from any vandalism or anything like that. Um, that probably probably goes a little better than a than K-State flag. I have seen a few OU ones, though, so somebody's a little brave. Yeah, that one, that one is a little bit more, a little more ballsy. Um, kind of switching gears, so I, I always bring it back to golf in some capacity. Um, being that it is a golf podcast and a golf brand, uh, golf lifestyle brand, are you a golfer yourself? Um, I guess I have golfed, but uh, I'm not a very consistent or good golfer. I would say uh, <laughs> a lot of times that I've that I've gone golfing, um, usually get asked by a friend or something like that, and uh, go play or, or you know go do a midnight or something, and it just seems like that. Uh, I can hit a few good shots on a night, but uh, I get more frustrated than anything else. I think uh, it's funny. We've we've talked about this on here before, but uh, I, the consensus from guests and other people I've talked to is there's a big difference between golfers and people who have swung clubs before. No, I, I, I'd agree with that because well, even when you watch some I mean, of the professional guys or, or even guys that play locally or anywhere – that play pretty consistent. Um, you know, it's 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 easy. I can go out there and hit hit good shots off and on throughout the day. Um, but if you're out there consistently hitting good shots and placing the ball where you want it, I mean, it's really pretty unbelievable what I mean what skills people are, are able to develop um, at a sport that I just haven't spent a whole lot of time with um, in in my life up to this point. Do you watch golf? Uh, I kind of got into watching golf in college. I had some roommates, um, oh, like my first couple years in college, that that were really into watching golf, like on Sundays or 
Uh, some of them would even get up like in the middle of the night to watch the British Open. Um, <laughs> I have done that that. that. that far into it, I guess. But I always enjoy watching the Masters, too. I always think that whole week or a few days there around that time is pretty unbelievable. And um, actually, one of my brother's college roommates um, is a greenskeeper at Augusta National. So really? I was kind of connected to that. I mean, it's, it's also the best tournament to watch, I think throughout the whole year it um i it's been said on here multiple times and i don't like to spend a bunch of time on it but i've been there and there's when when you see it on tv it's it's immaculate and it looks incredible but when you see it in person there's nothing i can say right now that could even do it justice it's 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 like the grand canyon it's one of those places you have to see to really put into perspective Mm -hmm. no i believe it i i've always thought it would be a blast to go there and watch and, I mean, just all the tradition and everything else that's gone on there. And, and yeah, the course, I mean, just always looks amazing. It looks like it's the first time it's ever been played. Because uh, I know it sits idle for a few months before that. What uh, Do you have a favorite golfer? Um, I guess it kind of, I always used to like Bubba. Um, but I, I, I haven't really, I guess, kept up now as much over the last couple of years. But uh, I always used to really like Bubba, and and then um, I guess he he probably was the one that I, that I liked the most there for a while. Yeah, he's kind of uh, he was kind of like the people's favorite um, for a couple of years, and he he's had a few instances uh, on the course and off that have kind of that's dwindled. Um, but you yeah. you gotta respect his style. He's kind of like a modern day John Daly. Mm-hmm. And I and I always I mean I always like watching Spieth now too. I mean he's he's done a pretty awesome job and 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 I I guess I follow Robert Streps on too since he's a K State grad. That's right. Um, and he really has performed pretty well in a few I mean tournaments off and on over the last few years. And I mean he's put himself pretty close to the final cut or pretty close to you know being being in the last couple holes with guys. Any guy that's making a living on Saturday and Sunday on the PGA Tour is, is doing pretty good. So he's he's had a pretty <laughs> yeah. successful run. Oh yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool to think about. I mean, just him playing in Manhattan and then and then where he's at now. Have you have you ever been to Colbert Hills? Uh, I've played there part three and a few holes on on the I guess what you'd call the the main course over there and. Uh, the tall, the tall grass got the best of me a lot of times out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never played it, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. No, it, it's an awesome course. I mean, if, if you or people haven't been out there, um, I mean, it's it's a really cool course. And, I mean, there's so much, I guess, entertainment or food or places. I mean, if you're going to Manhattan for a day or whatever, play, play the course in the morning and then hang out uh, afternoon, evening. And then, and then head back to wherever. I mean, that, that course is always seems to be in, in just awesome shape. I mean, minus going into winter and coming out, but there's, there's a lot of, a lot of good things that are happening on that course. Well, uh, I'm getting towards the end of whatever things had popped into my head and that I had kind of taken mental notes on, but I, I asked these last two questions to everybody, uh, and I'm excited to hear your responses to them. What is uh, your favorite sports moment that you've ever participated in? Favorite moment I ever participated in? I guess I would say um, 
of winning the big winning the Big Twelve and beating OU for the first time, I think are probably pretty close. Um, the excitement that we had beating OU that, that first time in Norman um, was, I mean, awesome. It was a close game. It was back and forth the whole time. And it was almost one of those games where, you know, we, we were getting to like the middle of the fourth quarter and I had really hadn't looked up to the clock and, and, and seen how much time was left and really processed what had been going on the whole time that I was there. Um, just because I was so in the moment in the game and, and, and into playing that I hadn't, I wish I would have taken a little more time just to realize what was going on around me and really the atmosphere and the situation that I was in at that point. And I always feel like that's kind of the same feeling that I have when I look back at uh, when we beat Texas at home in 2012 to win the Big 12 championship. Uh, I mean, fans stormed the field and, and I mean, everybody was down there and, and congratulated you. And I mean, it was just an unbelievable experience. And to really, I mean, I was so in the moment, it was just hard to really process and just take it all in. Um, I, I did some, but there was just so much going on at one time. It was just unbelievable. Man, and that, that leads to a whole nother, probably separate podcast that I could talk to you about just on, you know, the difference between when you're playing and when you're watching. You know, when you're playing, you're just reacting to the situation around you, and, and it's not anything you think about. It just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's, I mean, for sure, there was, I mean, now looking back, it's not that I took any of playing for granted, but it was just like I was so in the moment, yeah, that I just processed and, and reacted, and it wasn't so much that I just, I mean, was, was soaking it all in as I was doing it, because, you know, we were we were there to win and, and, and perform, and I, I didn't notice a lot of times what else was going on in the stadium. I was actually at that game. It was my first ever K-State game, um, and I actually rushed the field and ran into Jonathan on the field. He had no idea I was there. <laughs> it's pretty crazy that you say that. That I mean, you ran into Jonathan because my my wife now was in the stands that we were dating at the time and rushed the field, and I'm walking through the people trying to trying to get back up towards like the stage where they were going to give us the trophy. I actually ended up running into my wife, or who my girlfriend was at the time on the field. It was just kind of like crazy that out of 20,000 people that had been on the field or 10,000 people that had made on the field at that point that, you know, that you are still running into people that you know, like, like you did with Jonathan or like I did with Courtney. That was, that was just a sign that you had to marry her, I think. that's right i didn't have a choice at that point i guess um i appreciate you coming on man last question uh kind of similar to the last one favorite sports moment in general that you've ever witnessed i've ever witnessed i'd say um not being as a player um i'd say when the royals were on their streak of winning all those world series games jonathan and i were roommates at the time and um I mean, that series of, you know, however many games it was in a row where they were winning an extra innings and winning by one run or whatever, I think that would be probably by far, witnessing from home or wherever would be the best games that I'd have to watch. Yeah, the... I would pants uh, down. That two-year run was pretty pretty special, um, and it's kind of disappointing that it's over because you've, you've lost some of the energy around you know, fall baseball um, without them making the playoffs anymore. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I mean, the amount of 
time that I spent watching the Royals over those two years is probably the amount of time that, um, you know, just that postseason play as the amount of time that I've put in that since then as, as well. But <laughs> hopefully they'll get back to that point because, I mean, that's, that's a lot of fun to be connected to a team that, that's playing well in October. Yeah, and a homegrown team like that even more so. Mm-hmm. Just hopefully they don't wait another 20, however many years to get back there. Exactly. We'll be way too old to really enjoy <laughs> it by then. So, um, all right, maybe, maybe I'll be able to just be at the game then at that point. Yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll finally be financially stable. Uh, that's all i've got man i appreciate you coming on um and kind of sharing some of your story i i've appreciated your friendship and getting to know you and uh thanks for sharing yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it all right guys that's it for uh episode nine low side podcast take it easy Okay, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the Low Side Podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, criticisms, uh, please reach out to me. My email address is michael at lowsidegolf.com. I uh, would love to hear what anybody who listened thought and any way we can do better. And lastly, if you have a guest or, or would like to be a guest, please reach out to me. Uh, We're looking for as many interesting people and interesting stories to tell as possible. Um, Not always around golf, um, but but usually with some bit of golf thrown in the middle. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.